Amen. I'm glad that you all were able to bear through the snow in March, but that's how we roll here in Nevada. We just make it through in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And it's good to have some folks back in the house of God. We might need to get a visitor card on the barbers. They've been off enjoying vacation. Well-deserved vacation, but it's good to have them back in the house of God in Jesus' name. And uh, they got to enjoy real warm weather and come back to snow. So, hallelujah. God's just making the difference up for you in Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 8. feel something on my heart I want to bring to us and share today. And uh, do a little preaching, a little teaching, and uh, hopefully bring about some help to somebody in Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 8. Paul writes, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. He talked about two types of sorrow. The sorrow that comes from God, godly sorrow, and the sorrow of the world godly sorrow works repentance not something that you need to turn from but you need to keep turning back to but the sorrow of the world brings forth death and I want to preach to us for a few moments on this subject a tale of two tears a tale of two tears would you set down your Bibles and lift up your hands and let's pray all across this building would you lift up your voice as we talk to the Lord and ask God to move in our midst and in our lives, God. I pray for every, every saint of God. I pray for every guest, every visitor, God, that this message would be impacting on their eternity and on their life, God. I pray that we would allow your conviction in our lives as we reject the condemnation of the world. And God, that we would receive salvation and not death. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. Let's clap our hands one more time as we were turning towards our seats. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Amen. A tale of two tears. First and second Corinthians are the epistles of Paul to the church at Corinth. You will see that Paul writes many letters to the different churches that he had helped start and uh, there's there's many things that he writes about in those letters. Uh, Bishop B.J. Wilmoth did a great job last week talking to us about a few of the epistles. You will find that it is in the epistle to the Ephesians that Paul is referring and, and talking to the church about something they would both understand. 
and that was that they faced the beast of Ephesus. And everything that you read is written to the church at Ephesus, but there are some things that we can take out of it. There's a lot of good doctrines that you can find in the epistles. There's a, a lot of good church structure that you can find in the epistles. A lot of, uh, of our, our methodology will be found in the epistles. Amen. But Paul is writing back to the Ephesian church, and he is trying to get them uh, to continue with him in the fight, even though Paul has left them and now is starting another church. And it is here in the book of First and Second Corinthians that Paul is doing yet the same thing but to a different church. He is trying to get them to continue on in the things that they've been taught. But also he is being given questions by the local pastors that he has installed in those churches. And they are bringing to him uh, different problems. You've got you to understand that this was a new thing, this idea of a church and uh, this idea that God would allow uh, Gentiles and formerly pagan people to come and be a part of his body. He was having to deal with things that, that he had never really dealt with before. And, and, and now you've got people from different backgrounds, different religions uh, before they came to Jesus, different ethnicities. And I want to tell you, that's the beautiful thing about the church is that it's, it's an all-inclusive thing. Not one group, not one segment is to be left out of God's body in Jesus' name. Amen. But it is here that Paul is having to write back letters because he's not able to be there. Many times in his letters he said, I wish I could be with you, but I can't. I've got other things that I've got to do. But here's my instruction. And so those pastors would write to him and tell him all that's going on. And Paul would write back and sometimes he would say here is my commandment from the Lord and other times he would write down and say here's my best judgment and he would try his best to give instruction and different things but every so often he would have to send a letter of rebuke it was a letter that he was not excited to write because he knew that it might tarnish their view of him but he knew if I don't tell them the truth they won't be saved. It's interesting that most of his rebuke happens to the Corinthian church. You can read through your Bible. You will not find a church that was more gifted than the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, he talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about prophecy. He talks about speaking in tongues. He talks about the gifts of healing and knowledge and words of wisdom and all of these different things. But he has to write it to that church, not because they don't possess it, but because they do. They do possess these gifts, and Paul's got to set things in their proper order. Paul is writing to them many occasions because he knows they're going to be gifted, but if I don't correct their character, they'll be lost. Can I help somebody here this afternoon? It's not enough for us to be a gifted people. It's not enough to have a gift in your life. It's not enough to have a calling or anointing. You've got to make sure you got the character. Right. 
Hallelujah. You, you, can, you, you can make it to where you can't even sing your way out of a wet paper sack, but you got good character and you can make it to heaven. But you can sing like a canary and you can split hell wide open if you don't get your character fixed and you don't make it right with God. Character matters. So Paul's got to write to the Corinthian church and tell them, your gifting is not enough. You've got to have good character. And Paul's got to talk to them about structure, about order, that it's got to, there's got to be a certain order and character in the church. And if it's out of order, gifting doesn't matter if there's not order. Order is what makes some gifts powerful. Amen. And so he has to write to them, and in one of these, he's got to write to them about their negative characteristics I won't go into all the details I taught on it a few months ago but the Corinthian church allowed a fornicator to be called a brother in their church and he was operating in, in his gifting and, and doing all these other things but he was not living according to the word of God he was living in sin uh, and, and in fact it was sin that was not even mentioned among the Gentiles that one should have Amen. His is his, his father's wife. It's just a crazy deal. The stuff that is actually in the world that we see also in the Bible. The Bible's a beautiful book. It's full of real people with real problems. Amen. You ought to read your Bible because it might give you some hope that you can make it. If they can make it, if if God's still working on them, God still works on you and I. Amen. But it, it's it's just some grotesque sin. And Paul is saying. It's not a problem to have sinners come to church. It's when church folks start thinking that it's okay to sin. Hallelujah. We're going to teach a little bit here today. I want you to know that, that if you come in this building and you've got some sins in your life, God can forgive you. It doesn't matter what it is. Let me help you. I know there's some people that think there's degrees of sin. There are no degrees of sin. Sin is sin is sin. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us, the Bible says, from all sin. Amen. It is the blood of Jesus able to cleanse from all. Now there are different consequences to different sins because uh, if you murder somebody you're still going to prison. <laughs> uh, the government ain't going to let you out of some things. But Paul writes to them and says you should have done something about this but instead you let it slide. Their character was well it doesn't really matter. We're gifted. We've got a great church. We've got great things going on. And Paul begins to rebuke them in letter. And Paul writes to us in our text here today and in his first letter to the Corinthian church, he rebukes them over this situation. He calls them to the carpet and tells them they need to repent and make it right before God or they will be lost and the church will cease to exist. And they do exactly what Paul says. And Paul writes to them in a second letter. And that second letter to the Corinthians, he said, I know that I made you sorry with a letter. But I do not repent. Can I tell you, it is hard. Amen. He says, I repented to myself. And what he's saying is, as a preacher and as a pastor, it's hard to tell people that they're not living right. It's difficult to tell people they're going the wrong direction. You know that that might taint their view of you. They may no longer like you. They may no longer listen to you. But Paul said, I wrote you that letter, and I'm not sorry that I wrote you that letter openly and publicly let me tell the church if I ever got to preach something I don't apologize for not one iota of truth for one ounce of truth 
I might apologize for an opinion. I might apologize for a phrase. But I won't apologize for what's right. I won't apologize for what's true. Hallelujah. If you're saved here today, I want to tell you, it's because somebody told you the truth. If you're sitting in church today, it's because somebody told you the truth. But Paul's saying, I don't apologize for one bit of truth I told you. He said, but it did hurt me to tell you. And he said that I perceive, because now he's got another letter back. I perceive that when I rebuked you, it made you sorry. He said, but it was only for a season. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry. It's pretty interesting in this generation. We don't like the word sorry. Don't want to apologize for nothing. Amen. It's, it's just something, it's a hard word to say. It's one of the first words we teach children, but yet when we get older, it gets harder and harder to say, I'm sorry. And Paul's saying, I'm glad you got sorry. But he said, I'm glad you got sorry. I'll tell you why. Because it brought you to a place of repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. And because you were made sorry after a godly manner, you repented. And there will be no damage on you from a spiritual aspect. He said, godly sorrow works to repentance and it works towards your salvation. And you don't, need to, you don't need to turn away from your repentance. You need to keep going back to your repentance. Amen. He said that when you cry tears, amen, of a godly sorrow, and when you get convicted by God, when you allow that conviction to work, when somebody tells you the truth, amen, you should feel the conviction of God and it should bring you to a place of repentance. That sorrow, those tears should bring you to a place where you say, I'm never going back that direction. I'll never do that again. It, re it brings about good things in your life. When you repent, and I want you to know the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It's not God's judgment. It's not God being mean. It's God's convicting power that's leading each person from their life of sin and destruction and saying, let me give you some goodness. Let me give you some grace. Let me give you some mercy. Let me pull you out of the fire. Can I tell you, if you've ever repented of your sins, you ought to give God praise. you got the goodness of God working in your life. If God ever lets you say, I'm sorry. If God ever lets you turn around, you can cry your tears, but make sure you shout and give God praise. It was his mercy. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and magnify him. Come on. Repentance is a gift. Repentance is a gift. Those tears should be tears of joy. It might make you sorry for a moment, but that is the conviction of God. And there's nothing like the conviction of God that makes somebody want to get right with God. That conviction's a gift, but he said there's another sorrow, and that's the sorrow of the world. He said that kind of sorrow, it doesn't make you better, it makes you bitter. That kind of sorrow... It's just drinking until the bottle's done and you cry your last tear into that bottle. The sorrow of the world 
is that which condemns you and tells you you can never get better. That kind of sorrow says you can never change. That kind of sorrow says you can never get up from where you are and turn around. That kind of sorrow says you might as well skip church. You messed up too many times. That kind of sorrow says you might as well give up where you are. That's exactly what that sorrow does, and it brings forth death. You don't have to look very far in your Bible. You'll find examples of this sorrow in your Bible. Cain and Abel. The Bible says that Cain brought an offering. Abel brought an offering. I'm not going to go into all this today. But the Bible says that Abel brought an offering of the, of the firstlings of his flock, what was right and what was best. And the Bible says that Cain brought of the fruit of his ground. He brought what he thought was best. And it doesn't mean it was right. Just because you think something's good, just because you think something's right, does not make it right in the eyes of God. Somebody come to church here this afternoon. I want to help you here today. Just because we have the opinion that something's not wrong doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean God's approval will be on it. It doesn't have to be sinful or send you to hell to make it where it doesn't please God. I just made it up in my mind. I draw the line. If it doesn't please God, it's got to go. If it doesn't bring me closer to God, it's got to go. But there's Cain. He brings up the fruit of the ground. There's a lot of things we could talk about. The fact that Abel brought blood, but Cain brought fruit. But the truth is, amen, it was Cain that just brought what he thought was best. The Bible says that he brought the fruit of the ground. The ground that God had just got done cursing. He said the curse was by the sweat of your brow, by your hard works. And Cain was trying to bring about a sacrifice to his salvation of his hard work. But can I help you? You can't be saved based on your hard works. My Bible says we're not saved by works lest any man should boast. Now let me help somebody understand the theology behind that. That's not saying you don't go to work every day. <laughs> I'm not saved by works. I'll sit at home. No. What that's saying is you're, you, you're not saved by the amount of money in your bank account. Or lack thereof. Praise God. You're not saved based on your bloodline. You're saved based on his bloodline. You're not saved based on what you did right or you did wrong. You're saved based on what Jesus Christ did right on a cross and in a tomb and in a resurrection and in an ascension and in a coming back again. It is all of these things that he brings what he thinks is best. But the Bible says that he meets his brother in a field and he kills his brother. Slays Abel in the field. And God comes to him and gives him an opportunity to make it right and he goes where is see I love this about God Cain and Abel or you want to go back to Adam and Eve Adam and Eve make a mistake and God says where you at that is the conviction of God when God shows up and says hey he doesn't even beat around the bush he's not like hey let's talk about your, your crops and let's talk about how your business is doing he comes straight and goes hey where's your brother at because he knew that was the problem and immediately Cain instead of allowing God to convict him he got hardened and said, who am I? I'm not my brother's keeper. That's your job. And begins to put it back on God. I'm not to be looking after my brother. That's up to you. And, and, and God says, okay, here's your judgment, Cain. And he marks Cain. And Cain has now got to be a vagabond and a wanderer. And the Bible says that Cain began to cry. And Cain began to get sorrowful. Amen. I want to tell you why Cain got sorrowful. It wasn't the sorrow of conviction. Amen. He felt the condemnation 
conviction because he didn't respond to conviction and now he's got consequences now he's got judgment I want to tell you there's a lot of people that cry in this world but often they're not crying because of their convictions they're crying because all of a sudden they feel condemned under the weight of the consequences of the choices that they've made Amen. don't let tears fool you sometimes people will come to the altar and they'll cry and it's not because they want to get right with God it's because they are feeling the weight of their consequences of the very actions that they made. Amen. And, and I'm going to preach against condemnation here in a little bit. So I want you to not leave this building feeling condemned. I want you to come to the altar and lay that condemn condemnation down and pick up a little conviction and walk out of this building with tears of repentance. The Bible says Cain cried. His tears began to flow. Cain ended his life amen, a vagabond and a wanderer, never making it right with God. But the Bible says the blood of Abel cried out unto God. There's a, a very big distinction. Amen. Cain cried because of the consequences, but even in death, Abel's blood was crying out to the Lord. You can flip a little further into Genesis and you find the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau, who does not care about anything his parents tell him to do. He's married multiple women that his parents said not to do, to not marry, to not go with, none of these things. He decides to be a man of the field, not a man of the tent. Decides he doesn't care about spiritual things, only cares about feeding his flesh. Amen. This is what Esau does. This is what Esau is represented by. Amen. And, and when Jacob comes by, Jacob sell, gets his birthright, and Jacob steals and lies and cheats to get the blessing of their father. And when Esau shows up to that place, to find their father he says do you got the blessing uh, the one that I, I didn't show up for the one that I was late to the one that I didn't really care about but now that I, I've come to a later stage in life uh, even though I've made different decisions I'm going to now show up uh, and hope to get a blessing uh, when the time came when he should have got a blessing the Bible says he didn't because God had, or because the, the father had already blessed Jacob and the Bible says that Esau began to weep tears begin to fall and it was not because he realized he had done something wrong and lived his life wrong it was because he had consequences of his actions and instead of thinking dad what can I do to make this right instead of hitting his knees and pray and say God can we fix this the Bible says he cried tears of anger amen he got mad at his brother and said I'm gonna hunt you down Jacob and I will kill you amen the sorrow of the world it leads to hatred the sorrow of the world it doesn't lead to good things amen my bible says in the book of hebrews that that the bible says that esau he was looking for a place of repentance and he sought it with tears and he wept bitterly but there was too much roots of bitterness in esau's life he was too angry at jacob he couldn't get right with god he was too mad at his brother that he couldn't make it right with god can i help somebody here today the sorrow of the world will get 
you're so wrapped up on uh, what your family did or did not do for you. Uh, amen. And it gets you all twisted uh, where you'll be so bitter at life uh, and bitter at others uh, that when the time comes uh, to make it right with God, uh, you can't find a place of repentance. Uh, when you want the tears to come for repentance, uh, they don't come because uh, you're too busy being angry and crying tears of bitterness uh, and crying, I'm tired of this and uh, I'm mad they did that. Uh, and when God wants to come by and help you, you won't find the place of repentance because you got the sorrow of the world. And now you feel condemned because you can't make it forward because of your actions. But I want to show you the distinct difference. Jacob, liar, cheat, and thief deserve nothing, deserve judgment, deserve God to come by and whoop up on him, stole from anybody he could. And the Bible says that he was left alone until the breaking of the day. And the angel of the Lord wrestled with Jacob. I want to tell you, the people that allow God to work on them, no matter how messed up they are, amen, they'll allow God to work on them in the middle of the night. They'll allow God to work on them when no one else is around. They might have made mistakes. But I want to tell you the people like Jacob, they're not like Esau, so wrapped up in the past, so wrapped up in bitterness. Amen. But they, they realize God is still trying to work on me. And the Bible says that angel wrestled with Jacob. But guess what? My Bible says Jacob wrestled back with that angel. And they begin to fight and they begin to wrestle. And he said, you got to bless me. you got to change me. Can I tell somebody? what conviction does when you get a godly sorrow when you get a godly conviction it causes you to wrestle with what God's telling you it, ca it causes you to fight for what God's telling you and it makes you start changing the way you walk it starts making you change the way you live conviction will make you a better person not a bitter person conviction will help you not hurt you somebody lift up your hands and let's pray for just a moment Come on, let's pray. I'm praying for the conviction of God, not the con condemnation of the world. I'm praying for the conviction of God, not the condemnation of actions and poor decisions. I'm praying for the conviction that will wrestle you down and tell you you got to hope. you got to change. There's something coming good in your life. That angel said, what's your name? It was his moment to continue to lie. It was his moment to continue to be what he's always been. But he felt the conviction. He knew he was wrestling with God. And he knew I can't lie to God. If I lie to God, I'll never change. If I lie to God, I'll never be different. He said, I'm Jacob. I'm the liar. I'm the cheat. I'm the thief. I've done everything wrong. And the Bible says he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the Bible says from that day forward, Jacob never walked the same. Jacob had to lean on his staff. But my Bible says in the book of Hebrews before it's all said and done Jacob who is Israel is worshiping God leaning on his staff can I preach to somebody if you let God convict you if you let God change you he'll make a worshiper out of you if you let God convict you you might not walk the same but you sure won't worship the same if you let God change you if you let God convict you if you let the tears of godly sorrow flow it'll make you better somebody lift up your hands and magnify him Come on, let's magnify him. Come on, are you going to be an Esau or a Jacob? Are you going to be a Cain or an Abel? Are you going to allow condemnation in your life? Are you going to let God convict you and change you?
I got more to preach than we have time. But we could talk about Saul and David. Saul, who was king for 40 years, but only anointed for two. That means he reigned 38 years without God's help. That's right, you can do that if you want. You keep your title, position, do whatever you want. But if God departs from me, I made up my mind, God, if you don't go with me, I don't go. You leave me, I'm leaving with you. But it is one of those things where Saul decides he doesn't need God in his life. Never, the Bible says, did he ever inquire of the Lord at the Ark of the Covenant. Pretty interesting deal. And before it's all said and done, he goes to a witch's house. And he finds this witch and he says, bring up Samuel. He's got tears in his eyes because he knows he's made bad decisions and he can't take them back. He's got regrets because you better believe everybody's got regrets. But how you handle those regrets, what tears you'll let flow in your life, it really does matter. Saul's made it up in his mind instead of going to God and making it right. I will go to a witch. Instead of going to the church house, I will find some false doctrine preacher to tickle my ears. You better believe that's in your Bible. And he tries and tears flowing as please just God. Uh, he tries to get a word from God from the devil. That's an interesting thought. There's some people that have gone so far off. So, they feel so condemned that they'll just take any inspiration from anybody they can get it from and think it's a word from God. It's not a word from God. Because God only operates through conviction. Hallelujah. Saul ends up dying on his own spear. And that's the end of Saul's life. David, on the other hand, a man after God's own heart, kills a man and commits adultery. I want you to let the Bible sink in. Saul never committed adultery. Saul never committed murder. Saul was, in our eyes, a very moral individual. Had great kids. David had a bunch of messed up kids. Yeah, it's in your Bible. Because God sees things a little differently than we do. You might think you're messed up, but you're still a king's kid. Hallelujah. Amen. You, you might... We might have problems in the church, but you still make things right with God. You still got to walk with God, and God's hand's still on you. That's the difference that makes the difference. So David messes up. He's silent for a year, hiding from God until a prophet, until a preacher comes by. Thank God for church, man. I'll say it again, thank God for church where you can hide for a year and you can feel all condemned all year long, all week long, but you come to church and God sends you a word and God sends you a preacher and all of a sudden your entire world shifts. David would say, my bones are burning and they're raging. I want you to think about this man all year long. He says, I'm dehydrated in my soul. and I'm panting after God. And, and, and my bones are on fire. And I'm never able to find comfort because the whole year long, God was convicting him, but he would not respond. And God was moving on him. But David knew, I can't answer God right now because I know what I've done wrong. And condemnation tried to grab a hold of David, but... God sent a preacher, and that preacher preached. And the Bible says David hit his knees and began to repent under the conviction of the Word of God. And the Bible says of Jesus, he will sit on the throne of David. 
in the book of Revelations, it says, I'll give you the key of David. We don't hear about Saul anymore. Saul's dead and gone. But somebody that allowed God to convict him and make him change. That's one that God said, I still got your name written down in my book. You have a decision to make. Will you be a Saul or a David? To the New Testament, and I'm almost done. But I really want to teach and help somebody here today because there's people that don't know the difference between conviction and condemnation. And I'm going to get into that before it's done. Go to the New Testament. Judas betrays Jesus. And the Bible says he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. I got a question. What is Jesus worth to you? At what price? Some people need to raise their prices. Hallelujah. Because, amen, at least if you're going to let go of Jesus, you ought to make something out of it. Amen. I, I've known too many people that walked out on God, walked out of church, and they don't even sign a deal. They don't even... They don't even get anything out of the deal. Amen. I want to tell you, amen, he, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. You know what 30 pieces of silver is? The Bible would let us know in the book of Zechariah, I believe, it's the price of a slave. Amen. All Jesus was to him was a slave. Amen. That's why when Judas, I don't want to get into this, when he met him in the garden, he called him master. Something Jesus never was him because really all Jesus was was a slave that healed when he needed healing, blessed when he needed blessing. Amen. And that's all that Jesus ever was to Judas. But when the time came uh, where he realized that they weren't just going to flog Jesus, uh, they weren't just going to rebuke Jesus, uh, but they were going to kill Jesus. Uh, the Bible says that Judas, uh, even with tears in his eyes, uh, ran back to the religious leaders uh, with the 30 pieces of silver and said, I'd like to return. I'd like to bring in and exchange this money for Jesus. And they looked back at him and said, you don't have enough money. Jesus is worth more than we paid you. You sold out and you can't get it back and the Bible says he threw it down because what the religious told him is you're done and it's over that's condemnation there's no hope for you Judas he threw the piece of silver down the Bible says he hung himself but that very night there's a man by the name of Peter and the Bible says that he was watching Jesus at a fireplace looking he could see Jesus afar off and Jesus had told him previously, you will deny me before the cock crows. You'll deny me three times. And the Bible says, they said, are you with Jesus? No. There's one. Are you with Jesus? No. There's two. And they said, surely your, your, your speech betrays you. You talk like Jesus. You act like Jesus. Amen. I, I want to help somebody. When you try to walk out on God, you're not going to fit in with everybody else. It never happens. When you try to... You think you look like everybody else, but they know there's something different about you. Amen. You think you look like the world, act like the world, but they say you're just a knockoff. You're not even like us. And the Bible says that Peter cussed and said, I don't even know the man. And the rooster crowed. And Jesus and Peter locked eyes. And at that moment, Peter knew he messed up. And he felt immediately the conviction. And the Bible says he ran out and he wept bitter tears. He goes back to fishing. The very thing God called him out of. I hope I'm helping somebody today. I didn't. 
I could preach a short message, but I really want to help somebody because we got to get this. There's too many people that the reason that you can't operate effectively with other people is because you are projecting your image of yourself onto other people. Your negative self-image is now being projected on other people because you can't allow God to convict you and help you change those things. And so you live under a, a veil of condemnation that God never gave you. Amen. It might have come from the devil. It might have come from your flesh. It might have come from bad decisions. It might have even come from somebody else but it sure didn't come from God and if you can ever let God deliver you of that you'll walk home different you'll live different you'll interact different it is here Peter's back to fishing he's not even living right we know that he ain't even dressed right you can often see people start to slip when they start dressing wrong that's one factor another factor is how they live and how they give those two things are how you know somebody's slipping. They're slipping. They may not tell you, may look good on the outside, or maybe they don't. But they're slipping. And here, Peter's back to fishing. And somebody said, it's Jesus on the shore. But I want you to know he'd been feeling condemned for so long. He was so tired of it. My Bible says he jumped off the boat and said, boys, throw me my coat. I'm not living right. I want to tell you when somebody feels the conviction of God, they don't need a three-week counseling session to make things right. They just say, hey, come on, let's change this right now. They don't need a revival service. They don't need a conference. All they need to know is Jesus is there, and he's my answer, and he's my hope. The Bible says Jesus redeemed him at that point. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Tears begin to flow. Godly tears. Let's lift up our hands and let's pray. Come on, there's godly tears in this building. There's godly sorrow in this building. The devil's been condemning you for far too long. What you need to replace condemnation with is God's conviction. God's conviction is a gift. God's conviction's a blessing. God's conviction will help you. God's conviction will give you a future. Condemnation will only point you to your past. Judas hung himself for betraying Jesus. But yet Peter repented after betraying Jesus. Same thing, same night, but two different responses. There's two things at, at work here, condemnation and conviction. You could follow that tear all the way to the book of Revelations, where the Bible says that those that did not make it right with God, they're going to have weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's where, the, that's where the tale of tears ends for that group right there. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, still tears, but never made it right with God. But my Bible says of those that made it right with God, that my God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. People that live their life under condemnation of the devil, that because they think they're too bad for God to fix them, they make it up in their mind, I'll never go to church because I'll never be like those people. And they allow the devil to put them in a box. It allows them to condemn them. 
The Bible says if they don't believe on Jesus, they're condemned already. What is that, what is that really saying? That if they allow condemnation to work in their life, they'll never make their way to Jesus. Because when you have condemnation working in your life, it will always tell you God's some mean being that's with a lightning bolt looking to destroy you and looking to hurt you. Who's going to run to a God like that when they have a voice of condemnation in their ear? But there's another voice that's speaking louder and trying and is Jesus. Jesus on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They spit on him. They whipped him. They beat him. They pierced him. They stabbed him in the side. Crown of thorns on the head. And Jesus wasn't saying, God, get him. God was saying, God, save him. That's the difference between conviction and condemnation. It says, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, all ye that are burdened and I'll give you a rest. Would you stand all across the building and lift up your hands? Come on, would you pray in this building? When you let God convict you week after week, when you let God convict you, amen, on your own time, it might be uncomfortable for a season, but when it's all said and done, He shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Condemnation is not of God. My Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but after the Spirit. That tells us two things. One, condemnation is not of God. But condemnation is a reality. Hallelujah. If you are not in Christ, condemnation is a reality. Well, preacher, I don't know if I need to be baptized. Yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's Bible. There's people that would say, well, I don't need to repent. Yes, you do. Because if you don't get your way into Jesus, you are already facing condemnation. What about those that have already been baptized in Jesus' name, repented of their sins? Those who walk after the flesh, there's a little caveat. Those that are walking in the flesh, not in the spirit, they're going to feel condemnation. But all it takes for a child of God to switch gears is to say, God, forgive me. That's a little simple, preacher. Yes, it is. God is not hard. God, it's the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And all you got to do is say, God, I'm sorry. I've been walking in my own desires. I've been walking in my own lusts. I've been walking after my flesh. And all of a sudden, in one moment's time, you can start walking in the Spirit. And condemnation has no grip on you. All it takes is one prayer meeting. Condemnation is not of God. It's, a, it's straight from the pit of hell. It comes from our flesh that says you're not good enough because of X, Y, and Z. When again, Cain, it's not about your works. It's about what he's done. But conviction is a gift from the Holy Ghost. One of the, one of the primary functions of the Holy Ghost is not just speaking in tongues. But it is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. Of what they're doing wrong. And it's also to convict them to do something right. Condemnation causes us to turn away from God in fear, dread, guilt, and shame. 
like Adam who never had a reason to be afraid of God, but all of a sudden because of what he did wrong, he was now afraid of God. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear when you know the depths of the love of God. But conviction causes us to come to God and to place our faith in Jesus' actions, not our wrongdoings. Condemnation causes us to wallow in despair and self-pity. It's Judas hanging himself because of all of what he did. But conviction leads us to get our eyes off of what we are and what we've done. and puts us at a God-centered hope. Condemnation leads us to believe that we can never change. But conviction is the very thing that gives us hope that even though we've sinned, God is still working on us and change is possible. Condemnation is inward and self-focused, always dwelling on the fact that I have sinned. But conviction is outward, it's God-focused, and it always dwells on the fact that God died for my sins. Condemnation sees God as an angry judge who would strike us at any moment. But conviction sees God as a loving father who disciplines his children. Amen. Because he loves them. Convict condemnation feels like a black oppressive cloud that you can't get past. But conviction is that comforter of the Holy Ghost that wraps you up when you don't feel like you deserve it and tells you there is still a chance. Condemnation is useless. Everybody say that condemnation is useless. Condemnation is the sorrow of the world that says, I messed up. I might as well keep messing up. And it leads to death and destruction. But conviction is a fruit producing gift from God. Condemnation causes us to forget repentance. Because we're so focused on all our wrongs, we can't figure out how to get right. But conviction hastens us. It encourages us. It compels us. It pulls us. It pushes us. It says, whatever you do, get back to Jesus. Whatever you do, as fast as you can, get to the altar and pray and make it right. Too many people living under condemnation. And God is yelling in their other ears saying, You can make this right. We can make this right. We can fix it. Come on, my blood is sufficient. My grace and my mercy is new every morning. Would you lift up your hands? I feel the conviction of God. It's a good thing. There's some folks that about gave up and about quit because all they feel is condemned. I want you to know, you don't have to be condemned. You can say, Lord, forgive me. And that conviction will compel you and give you power to change. Would you lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on, what tears are you going to cry? 
you're going to cry that, well, I've already messed up so bad. I might as well keep messing up. I've already done so much wrong. I might as well give up and let condemnation rule in your life. Or are you going to let God convict you? says, I might have messed up yesterday. But devil, you can't have today. Devil, you can't have tomorrow. Devil, you can't have next week. I'm going to let God change me. I want to open up this altar. Would you come? In the church, we don't want you feeling condemned for anything. But we do want you to feel the loving conviction of God that says, hey, if you come to this altar, God can fill you with His Spirit. Hey, if you come to this altar, God can completely change your life. There's some folks in this building here today that God has been working on you all week long. There's some folks God's been working on you for years and years and years. But when you come to this altar, I want you to give it over to God. Yield yourself and say, I want to have tears of sorrow, tears of godly sorrow. I want to have tears of repentance. I want to have tears of conviction. I want to have tears that say, I'll make it right. Not bitterness that says, I might as well stop trying. I don't want condemnation to reign. I need conviction. Would you pray all across this building as we sing in the name of Jesus? Come on, that's it. Come on, that's it. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, that's the convicting power of God. He'll fill you with His presence, and it will be the difference in your life. anything in your life you need to say God I'm sorry he'll listen he'll hear you if you gotta make it right do it today let God's conviction work